Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking spirit dependency, one of our 10 characteristics of a healthy church or ministry. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Glad you guys are with us. Dave, glad to be back. It's good to be with you, Jared. It's always a real treat. Mm, it's it always is. a real treat. It really is. Yeah. Yep. A treat for you. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I should, should I say tonight, I feel like I hit the big time because yesterday my wife and I got a text from your mom, mm-hmm. Unhi Hertwick, mm-hmm. inviting us to dinner tonight. Wow. And uh, I felt like we finally arrived. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What's on the menu? Do you know? Well, the two things she mentioned um, are kimchi and rice, which is the only two things that really matter. Yeah. So. Tell our listeners what kimchi is, since you're the half Korean person in this podcast. Well, yeah. Let me let me explain this because you probably wouldn't do a great job. But uh, you know, kimchi is a, a very popular Korean dish. Is it the national dish? It's uh, it's a side dish. I don't know that it would be considered the national dish, but it's definitely a distinguishing dish but for it's a, Korean cuisine. Yeah, it's a fermented vegetable, usually cabbage, right? But you can make it from different things. Yeah, am and I correct? And it's not, yeah, and it's not always fermented. It ferments over time, but you okay. can eat it right away. And in that case, it would be more like a fresh kimchi. Okay, but it can be cabbage. Cabbage is the is the probably the primary, but then they can do it with anything: cucumbers and and radish is a very popular one too. Right, it's spicy. But here's what we should say. Um, your mom told us that she has a special refrigerator in her house just for the extra stinky kimchi. And well, we're talking years fermented, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot of Koreans actually, I think, have these refrigerators. Um, they actually are, oh, how do you explain it? They're, they, they seal so that things actually don't ferment at a terrible rate, right? So it's like... Um, I don't know what you would call that fridge. I can't remember, but I, you're looking at me like I would know. I don't know. Well, not just Koreans use it. I think it's used for other things, like maybe like. Ah. Well, I'm American. I'd never seen one of these fridges, but <laughs> sounds awesome. You know. Well, it's going to be a wonderful meal, and I also was invited. So jokes on you. Oh, you're not the only one going. Darn it! I was hoping for a nice, you know, nice night with just your mom and my family, and just to make her feel like I was. Uh, you know, maybe a replacement son for you. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know. Let's do a kimchi off. Let's yeah. see who can eat the most kimchi. <laughs> no, I'll lose that battle. Anyway, it's going to be fun. We're looking forward to hanging out and uh, looking forward to this podcast. We started last week. Um, we explained a little bit of the journey. So if you didn't listen to the last episode, I encourage you to go back. But uh, Dave and I were on a subcommittee responsible for um, kind of defining 10 characteristics of a healthy church or a healthy ministry, if you're not uh, the lead pastor of a church. And last week, we broke down the first one, which was theological integrity, and uh, today we're going to do a new one. And uh, and in fact, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to spend time, or now over the next nine weeks, we're going to spend time in each episode, we're going to break down a different characteristic. And um, here, here's the cool part is this is not just for lead pastors. If you do youth ministry, children's ministry, if you're just a leader in your church, or some of these even can really apply if you're not in church ministry at all, maybe you're just in leadership, uh, they can apply in whatever leadership context that you're in. And so, in fact, I think that's even true of the one we did, theological integrity. There's some there's some truths there that can be applied to whatever context yeah. you're in. So yeah. today we're going to do a new one. Dave, do us the honor and the pleasure of introducing... 
our second characteristic. Yeah, so our second characteristic, and I don't know that these characteristics are being um, unrolled in any sort of order of priority necessarily, but this is just the next one on the list. So last week was theological integrity, and this week uh, the characteristic of a healthy church is spirit dependency, spirit dependency. And uh, here's a definition of spirit dependency. I'll, I'll read it again. Like last week, there's a lot in it, and then we'll just kind of like break it down and talk about it a little bit. But Now, here's what we should say. We said this in the last episode, but if you didn't catch it, um, health is not about you either you're there or you're not. Right. It's about a, a progression. A journey. It's a journey. Spectrum. So this would be true of this. It's not, it's not you have this or you don't. It's how can I grow in this? How can I have more spirit dependency? More spirit dependency? in my life and ministry. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. So um, spirit dependency is a constant and total reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the first part of the definition. Spirit dependency is a constant and total reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel, making disciples, releasing the gifts of the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let me say that one time in its totality. Spirit dependency is a constant and total reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel, making disciples, releasing the gifts of the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Spirit dependency. So um, let's just kind of start with this idea that spirit dependency is constant and total reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In this day and age... Uh, with everything that's available at our fingertips uh, when it comes to resources for church health and church growth and just talking about church, thinking about church, what are some of the dangers out there, in your um, opinion, as it relates to things that we might get reliant on other than the work of the Holy Spirit, or in addition to, or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it's easy to get reliant on our gifts or talents, Um, the things that we're good at. It's certainly easy to get reliant on or look for um, the next silver bullet, Mm. you know, in the ministry world. What does that mean? Well, like we go to conferences or we we look at people who we define as more successful than us and we think, what are they doing? Um, And it's, uh, we're looking for the next, like what program are you running, you know, or what... um, what thing are you doing? And that's all. That's all good. Like that's a part of learning and growing. Sure. Or, you know, but um, it's easy to think about ministry in a way that uh, if I if I do the right things and plug in the right environments, you know, and put everything in the right place, then that of course the church will grow and I'll have success. Yeah, and there's also a danger of just trying to take solutions from other environments and plug it into your own when your environment is unique, right? Yeah. And you haven't done the hard work of diagnosing the problems, understanding the context, and just thinking. So like, for example, here we are in the Northeast, which is distinguishing characteristics about it when it's when it comes to um, working in a local church and serving as a local church. Um, if I go to a church conference in you know the Bible Belt or down in the Southeast in Alabama or someplace like that, where they've found something that works really well, and then I just try to artificially... Uh, import it into this Northeast context, it doesn't always work. In fact, some of the things that work in those contexts, and I've seen this because I've traveled a little bit, it actually would come across as disgenuine in the Northeast because people up here are just... um, More cynical. Yeah, a little more cynical, um, definitely in some ways more post-Christian. And and so um, just the the lack of um, thoughtfulness, the lack of actually doing the work, 
um, when it comes to just grabbing solutions from other places and getting over reliant upon them. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, you know how Facebook gives you ads based on, I guess, your searching or whatever you're interested in. So, like, if you're looking for a new mattress, the next time you log on to Facebook, you know, there's going to be someone right. on your feed. So, because they're creepy like that. Um, in my, in my, um, and my feed is 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 often ads about church stuff, of course. Mm. And so there's actually posts that pop up that will say things like this: "This is how we grew our church from 200 to 4,000 in eight weeks. We found one little secret." And I mean, there's a part of me that wants to click on it, partly because I'm just like, "This, this is crazy. What is, it? What is like, this, this is secret? This like, what is it? We started serving hot dogs every morning. <laughs> yeah, hot dogs in the morning." It's a secret. That says it, something about you and your diet, Jared. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's really easy in those moments to be tempted to be reliant upon things like yeah. just the newest church growth strategy. Isn't so, it true too? Like when it comes to dependence on the Holy Spirit, as we f- we sometimes can easily forget, this is not a stale mathematical formula, right? Like that's not how church works. These are real people. These are spiritual beings um, who. Without the work of the Spirit to regenerate their hearts, to, to make dead things alive, nothing happens, right? So it's not, it's not some stale, like, oh, just put the right pieces in place. Um, this is a, some formula that you can do. Like, yeah. this is real people in real life, in real situations. And outside of a work of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what you do. You could, you could even have perceived success in everyone else's eyes. But sure. outside of that work, in, in, in the big scheme of things... There, there's nothing happening, and that's true in every aspect of life and ministry, isn't it? So yeah. the rest of the definition, the rest of the definition says that it's constant and total reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit in. And then these are some categories that are in the definition. This is not all. Uh, this is not. Uh, this doesn't necessarily describe every single area, right? Because we need the Holy Spirit in everything. But we rewrote preaching the gospel, right? So sometimes there is this. Um, idea that we need the Holy Spirit for very specific aspects of the service, maybe the altar call, um, maybe the gifts of the Spirit being um, used within the body to edify and encourage the body. Uh, Maybe we need the Holy Spirit, um, you know, at a very specific moment to feel something or experience something. But the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's not at work in preaching the gospel, then all of our sermon preparation, all of our sermon delivery will be in vain because Ultimately, it's the Spirit of God that points the hearts of the listeners to Jesus. And that's really, the Holy yeah. Spirit was sent for a lot of different reasons, but one of, the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit loves to do is He loves to point us to Jesus. Mm. In a sense, He's not really pointing us to Himself. He's pointing us to Jesus so that we can trust more fully and solely in Him. Of course, the Holy Spirit is fully God, you know, part of the Godhead, three in one. Uh, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all fully God. But they do have some unique roles and ways in which they serve and complement and strengthen each other in this beautiful relationship, right? And one of the things that the Spirit does is as we preach the gospel, the Spirit is just um, showing people their need for a Savior while simultaneously revealing Jesus to be that Savior. Mm. And uh, it's easy to think we don't need the Holy Spirit until this part of the service. Right. But man, we need Him for everything, don't yeah. we? Yeah, it's like the... I used to listen to Judah Smith a lot, and he would always make this. He was joking, of course, but he's like, get to the end, he's like, all right, somebody come up here and play some on the keys to uh, to help usher in the spirit or something like that. He's like, let's make like make it sound a little more spiritual in here, you know? Yeah. But it is that perception, right? If you yeah. go up in church, it's like, as soon as you hear those pads in the back, it's like, oh, oh, there's spirits here. 
<laughs> he, he's arrived. It's like you picture the Holy Spirit like sitting out in the lobby, just kind of like chilling and having a coffee, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the the pads, the keys come in, and the Holy Spirit's like, oh, hold my coffee. <laughs> in conclusion, he's like, oh, that's my call. Let yeah. me hit in. Here I come. Gotta got do, got do some weird stuff. <laughs> hold my coffee. Yeah. So. Um, we need the we need the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel. We need the Holy Spirit in making disciples, which is ultimately the mission of every local church and every believer to make disciples who make disciples. And then three specific aspects of what the Spirit does it finishes out the definition: releasing the gifts of the Spirit, bearing the fruit (singular) because that's the way it's written in Galatians by Paul, the fruit of the Spirit, and receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we need the Spirit at work in all of these things. And you know, we're we're part of the assemblies of God, and we're part of a um, fellowship of churches that uh, are open to what the Spirit may want to do in services as far as speaking through people, releasing gifts through people to strengthen and encourage. And Paul writes a lot about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 and gives us some very health, helpful instructions. And And I think as, as Pentecostals, we always have to be going back to the text and going back to Scripture and saying, do we do what we do because of historical practice or do we do it because of scriptural precedent and clear teaching? And I think there's some things that we do that are more maybe out of tradition, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that we can continue to have conversations about the expressions of how the Spirit works in our service and how we pastor those things. But um, as a pastor, one of the challenges is, and maybe you can speak to this, helping to pastor people through moments where the Spirit is at work in really profound ways and helping them engage with their emotions with what the Spirit is doing without becoming a slave to their emotions. And have you seen that at all in your time working with um, young people, college students, as far as being a pastor in moments when the emotions are high, not shutting it down because emotions are real, but also not feeding into it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think for anyone who has been around church for a while, you've probably seen... There's a real temptation in leading in leading a ministry or leading a church, where or or let's say you're leading worship or something like that. You know the singing time too. You start to realize the power of emotions and the power that things like song have on us or music. Like there is something f- funny about when someone is talking and all of a sudden there's a keyboard playing behind them. Changes the whole feel of the room. Yeah, right. As a preacher, I feel like I have I have another like five more minutes to preach because everybody's kind of locked back in. Yeah, well, that's not true for you, but yes, um, it does feel that way. No, absolutely. So there is, and I think that's part of the way God designed us, right? And the way that He made music and things like that to really resonate with our soul and our spirit. But the problem with that is it's easy to we start to think as so for you you're preaching every week or for myself i get to preach at a lot of like youth conferences and um retreats and stuff like that it's very easy to measure my success as a as a communicator of the gospel in the emotional reaction that people have so okay what did i do a good job well how many people are crying mm-hmm. how many people are um up up front and responded to me saying come down front, you know? Which isn't necessarily a bad metric, but when it's your primary metric, right, or your only metric... Or your only metric, yeah. Then what Then what happens in your heart in those moments as a speaker? Right. What, what are you willing to do to create that success? Because I've been, I've been in services where I've gone out, and, and so I grew up in that, where there was a real, like, the only measurement of success is, is there high emotions in this room? And so if there wasn't, there becomes this manipulation, right? And so I've even recently been in services where I would go out and speak, and then I would do an opportunity for people to respond and just say, hey, let's come pray. And maybe um, whoever was leading the service felt like it wasn't sufficient enough, 
And so they'd have to go back out and try to like manufacture some sort of uh, emotional response, which we don't want that. We don't want the manipulation of emotions to be confused with the work of the Spirit, because it yeah. not always is. Sometimes people can just cry. Sometimes people can just be emotional. However, we should expect that when God really moves, it can touch your emotions. Like, that's sure. not a crazy thought to right. think, right? Um, when we're overwhelmed by the power of the gospel, what he's done for us, we, f- we fall more in love with him, yeah, that, that, should, that should and can affect our emotions. So I think we also have to be sensitive of the opposite, which is running away from abuses that we saw or a part of and going, I never want to manipulate people's emotions, therefore I will, I will run completely and I never want to create opportunity for people to have that experience. And I think that's a huge mistake as well. Yeah. I think one of the signs of a healthy church is that there's strong pastoral leadership that understands the scriptural teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and then teaches frequently on the Holy Spirit, right? There's a lot of confusion, I think. Um, I was talking with somebody who grew up in a non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal environment, and uh, he was saying, we need, he was, he was kind of sharing his heart to teach students about the Holy Spirit because so many of them haven't heard about him. Uh, or they've kind of um, pushed away from talking about the Holy Spirit because of those concerns that you've described. On the same time, I was able to say to him, but you know what's interesting is that a lot of kids that grew up in Pentecostal charismatic environments, they actually need teaching on the Holy Spirit too because they've had experiences that, you know, God's always at work. He's always doing things in spite of us. So, you know, I'm not going to say like that the Spirit wasn't at work, but there are definitely some other things at work. And it's been very confusing for them. And so one of the things that I think about being a church that has spirit dependency is that the leaders in healthy churches, they speak frequently or regularly about the work of the Holy Spirit, but they do it in a way that is deep and broad. Mm. So they don't just talk about one thing that the Holy Spirit does, whether it's maybe the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which actually is Jesus' work, or the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, but they, they talk about the work of the Spirit in salvation, the work of the Spirit in sanctification, the work of the Spirit in mission. And I think healthy churches have a broad... Um, um, well thought out um, theology of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and that helps. That helps in a lot of ways, and one of the big ones you kind of touched on it, which is um, people that connect the Holy Spirit to just weird stuff happening. It reminds them that that's not a healthy definition of what the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Like the Spirit's a person, and He's at work in every avenue. And, um, and I actually think that makes people more open to experiencing more of God, you know, because the, the fear gets broken away, and they're like, all right, I just, I just want more of the Spirit in my life. Yeah. If you're a leader and you have a hard time teaching and preaching on the Holy Spirit, and even in your own life you've had a hard time really understanding and receiving who the Holy Spirit is and what He has for you, one of the things that helps me a lot, or has helped me a lot, is really looking at Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit, you know. In John 14 and John 16 in particular, and really diving into that text and understanding like, man, the Holy Spirit is so significant in the life of the believer that Jesus actually has the audacity to say to his disciples, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I don't go, I can't send the Spirit. Mm. And then he introduces the Spirit as this comforter, this counselor. I like the word helper. Someone who helps us not with things we could do without him, but things we couldn't do without him, right? So he helps us do things we couldn't do on our own. And I love the idea of even teaching my children, the Holy Spirit wants to help you. Yeah. Like when you're sad, he wants to help you. When you're tempted, he wants to help you. When you feel like you don't have power, he wants to help you. Yeah. And so speaking about the Holy Spirit in ways that connect with the language that Jesus used, 
I think is super helpful because Jesus is teaching in those moments yeah. on the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of narrative in Acts that we use to kind of get an understanding of the Holy Spirit's work, but we always have to be um, wise in using narrative to build theology, right? Or in this case, pneumatology, the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Narrative can be helpful, um, but we also need to look at some real straightforward teaching yeah. uh, to help us really um, better understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. So I've got a question for you because I'm interested to hear your response on this. Um, as a local church pastor, how do you, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, move people from their typical understanding of the Spirit at work, which is it happens on a Sunday morning or in a church building, to helping them attach and understand the work of the Holy Spirit in mission, in their everyday life? You know, Because I think typically that's what it's been, is, oh, the Holy Spirit is that thing that creates weird like he's the he's the weird uncle that shows up on Sunday mornings at certain times or on youth retreats or at you know whatever but they don't attach it to their everyday life and in particular they don't attach it to them living on mission yeah well I think disconnecting the power that you have in the Holy Spirit from the mission of God is such a mistake because that's why that's the purpose right what's the purpose behind the power you know look at guys at the gym who work out and lift weights and they're ripped and their arms are talking huge. about me you son <laughs> of a gun <laughs> and um negative and um you look at them and you, sometimes i look at these guys these guys are enormous and i kind of wonder what's the purpose like what are these guys using are they lifting stuff that's they couldn't lift otherwise like <laughs> are they are they playing sports like is it is the purpose just to look a certain way and i'm not judging what the purpose is but i wonder what's the purpose and we talk about the power that's found in the Spirit. The purpose ultimately is that we can better fulfill the mission of God, which is to make disciples who make disciples, right? To, to yeah. reach people, to disciple, to, to disciple people to Jesus and to disciple people in Jesus. And so I think, um, like when I talk about things like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, I always lead with mission. I always lead with, here's how great the mission is, and God wants to send us. And if the mission matters this much, and if the mission is this important, and if we're really so terrible at carrying out the mission of God. And he said that you need this sort of power to live on mission. And then defining mission, not simply in terms of how you serve in your local church, defining mission, not simply even as far as evangelizing people or reach people with the gospel, but mission basically being what are you doing with your life to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven and advance the kingdom of God in a way that can be seen, experienced, so that people can know the true king, right? So I think it always starts with proper handling of the scripture text, teaching from the scripture in a way that's faithful to it, which is what we talked about last week, but then applying it within the context of if, if the Spirit was given to us to indwell the believers primarily as a mark, a seal for the day of redemption, so it's an identity thing. You're sealed by the Spirit, but and you talk about this a lot, identity is always connected to mission. So now that you are a people of the Spirit, what does it look like to be on the mission of God? And disconnecting them in any way reduces the work of the Holy Spirit to a neat little experience or a cool little trick that you can do. And it's one of the mistakes that's been made over the years of sort of making uh, certain aspects of the Spirit, whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether it's using the gifts of the Spirit, sort of like the finish line. Oh, you can do that? Well, you're Joe Pro-Christian now. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. That, 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 in some ways, this is maybe dangerous to say, don't hold me to it. In some ways, all of that is a means to an end right? The value is not in and of itself, although there is value in those things, of course, but the ultimate value is that we would be faithful 
to the mission that God has given us. And so I think that's a that's a big part of, of leading a local church in health when it comes to yeah. the spirit dependency. One of the ways that I would practically talk through this with, with youth and young adults is to say, okay, most of you think about things like the gifts of the Spirit as operating on a Sunday morning in a church service, right? So you would you would hear someone maybe stand up, and this happens typically in Pentecostal services, someone stand up and have like a word from God, you know? And and usually they do it in some sort of old English and thus saith the Lord and whatever. So they think, okay, that's what it, that's what it means to have a gift of the spirit, and 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 that's fine. I think we've all been in services where someone says something that's that's encouraging, it's edifying to the body, it's great. I'm not saying that's not a work of the spirit, of course. But what I would try to help them understand is, it's so much more than that, though, because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to give you you words for people in your everyday life. Like, like I've had moments where you're walking by and and you just feel something in your spirit going like, hey, go go say this to somebody. And so helping them understand, like, it could be as simple as you feeling impressed upon yourself to go up mm-hmm. to your classmate and just speak words of life into them. Like God's saying, hey, go go like encourage them. Go, you know what I mean? And But if, if we open ourselves up to think about that being a powerful work of the Spirit, I really believe God opens up kind of these divine opportunities where people's lives can be changed by words that are spoken. And it's not something we would do on our own, but because we're open to the work of the Spirit. And that's, I'm not going to say it's more powerful, but man, that's amazing to know that that's with us at all times yeah. if we're open to it. In some ways, it's easy to be spirit-dependent when you're in a church service. The atmosphere yeah. is right, the audience is right, right. the music is there, that you know, you're, there's an expectation. Yeah. But what does it look like to be a people of the Spirit, like you're saying, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our homes? And I'll tell you what, nothing does more damage to the legitimacy of the work of the Holy Spirit than people who are um, express strongly their love for and their appreciation for the Holy Spirit and express it in different ways in a church service, but then go home and are miserable, um, yeah. are terrible spouses, terrible parents, don't know their neighbors' names. You know what I mean? It's like yep. there's such a disconnect. And so I think spirit dependency, uh, healthy churches know, first and foremost, nothing lasting will happen without the work of the Holy Spirit, like yep. nothing. We can show up Sunday morning after Sunday morning. It's a waste of our time. If the Holy Spirit will breathe life onto what we're doing, then there will be life and there will be fruit and there will be lasting kingdom impact. But if it doesn't trickle beyond the church gatherings, then we've missed the whole point. Yeah. And so um, leaders in churches that are spirit-dependent and that model spirit-dependency, they've learned to talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that um, is relevant in every area of our life and beyond the walls of our churches. Yeah. Well, hope that was a benefit to you guys. That was our uh, our topic characteristic called spirit dependency. We're gonna in the next episode we'll jump into our next characteristic. Uh, before we do though, we've got the best segment of the podcast, which is a little segment we like to do called David's Eats. Mm. And um, it's lunchtime. It is lunchtime here. Actually, it's past our lunchtime. That's the truth. So, um, Dave, I wanna I wanna ask you. I, I was thinking about this. Are you a, number one? Are you a breakfast guy? I mean, where does breakfast rank for you? I love breakfast. I just, I, I don't eat big breakfast because I feel like I start, like, because I'm, I'm usually trying to calorie count. So when I start my day with a big breakfast, I feel like I've already ruined the rest of my day. <laughs> but listen, if, 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 if calories didn't matter, breakfast is probably 
It might be my favorite meal of the day. All right. So that being said, because I'm with you. Actually, breakfast is my favorite meal to go out to eat for. Mm. I love going out to eat for breakfast. Like going to a great... So easy to make, though. Great diner. Yeah, but there's something about, I don't know, the unlimited coffee, just going out, like getting... (laughs) I don't know. There's something about it. It's amazing. So anyway... You're a real hedonist. here's, Here's my question to you. Okay. If you got to choose between French toast, pancakes, or waffles... Which one are you choosing, and how is it being ordered? Are you doing fruit on top? Are you doing, you know, a little chocolate sauce? I mean, t- you know, what are yeah. you doing? Well, I'm a texture guy, so I like I like pecan pancakes. Okay. Um, but I think if I had to choose between those, I probably would go French toast. Wow. Like a real thick slab of, like, brioche or something, and um, a little powdered sugar and some... some Good quality syrup and um, Vermont, and then, Vermont, yeah, and maple? I, yeah, yeah whatever you want. That's I know, it. I know, you're all about it, Mister Vermont. Um, but I like fruit. I like raspberries a lot and strawberries, and I like um, chocolate too. So mm-hmm. um, maybe uh, maybe a little a little hazelnut Nutella drizzle on there. What are you thinking about that? I wouldn't say no. Okay. I wouldn't say no. But you know what? I wouldn't have, which a lot of people would. I'm not a big whipped cream guy. On on, I'm just really? period not a big whipped cream guy. Wow. I mean, if it's homemade, like the real deal, like my wife makes sometimes, like that's but like out of a squeeze can. Yeah. Uh, if it just doesn't do it for me, but uh, but this is not what you asked. I would actually choose a more savory breakfast than any of that. I would go eggs, bacon, sausage. I, I just love well, let's let's put those two together and make the full the Dave Hertwig breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Normally I don't mind my food mixing, but if I got French toast and eggs and bacon on the same plate, that's the one exception. Yep. I don't really want my French no. toast getting in with my eggs. You they, can't let that syrup slip yeah, down. They you can gotta, be partners, but not friends. That's it. Yeah. Hey everybody, hope you're hungry now. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Hey.